Well, good day, everyone. Thanks for having me uh, this week at your Mission Awareness Week. Of course, we're having to kind of be a bit flexible with our definition of having me with you, uh, but that's the world we live in, and, and it is great to, to be with you this morning. Um, I, I do want to start with a, a bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, so, you know, I've been invited to be with you uh, for this Mission Awareness Week, uh, and after 12 years on the field with CMS and, and now working with working to send people out as CMS missionaries and, and care for them when they are there. I hope it comes no, as no surprise to you that, that I'm very positive about cross-cultural mission. Uh, and I want you to be positive about it as well. Uh, in fact, I'm just going to put my cards on the, uh, the chat table here, the Teams table. Um, as a result of Mission Awareness Week this week, uh, including these talks, including the uh, this afternoon sessions, all that sort of stuff. I want all of you to have a serious conversation with someone about being becoming a cross-cultural missionary. Uh, if I think if you leave more college and haven't had a serious conversation about serving in a, a cross-cultural context outside of Sydney, then you have missed a great opportunity. Um, so make sure you do that this week. Uh, maybe you already have that plan to do it. Great. Uh, talk to someone, move that plan along. Think about why you have that plan. Think about whether it's a good plan. Now, the way I want to stimulate that conversation is by having a look at some passages from 1 and 2 Timothy. I want to see how they help us think about mission. For that series, for this series, I've gone for the kind of intellectually rigorous title of mission. Yeah, nah, yeah. Um, now, I do want to say that that I did have a bit of a discussion with the committee as to whether a title like Mission Yeah, Nah, Yeah might be a bit sort of insulting, a bit lowbrow for, for this esteemed audience. And they thought for a moment about their classmates and their colleagues and they said, no, 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 that'll be OK. So we'll see. So let's pray and have a look at this passage from 1 Timothy 1. Let's pray together. Uh, thank you, Father, that, that we can be together today in this way. Uh, thank you that we can hear your word. Thank you that we can hear from your people. Thank you that we can pray together, we can sing together, even though we are in different places. Please help us to hear from your word now. Help me to speak it truthfully and clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, okay, so the next three mornings, we're going to look at some passages from 1 and 2 Timothy. And for some of you, I think as we look at these passages and we raise the possibility of cross-cultural mission, the answer will be, yes, being a cross-cultural missionary is something I want to do. And, and you'll go ahead and pursue the opportunity. And in a few years, I'll, I'll be coming visit, visiting you as a CMS missionary in Indonesia. Great, excellent. For others, I hope that by the end of the week, you might have decided, no, at the moment, uh, the right thing for me to do is to not go overseas into a cross-cultural situation. Maybe later, after I've sorted a few things out, maybe never. But that too is a helpful conversation. And especially tomorrow morning, we're going to be thinking a bit about why the answer might be no. 
But okay, this this week I, I do want to convince you to, to get involved in cross-cultural mission. But the question is, how am I going to do that? Because the the arguments I present, the, the motivation, if you like, it's a pretty important thing, isn't it? In many decisions we make, what we do, we are doing because we've received a, an instruction or, or an exhortation, but it is rare that the instruction or the exhortation comes without a motivation. Uh, think about the, the exhortations we receive with regard to our road use. Wear your seatbelt. Don't drink and drive. Don't speed. Don't use your mobile phone. There is usually a because attached to those instructions. Wear your seatbelt because it could save your life in an accident. Don't speed because it is dangerous. Don't use your phone while driving because it's a distraction. Become an overseas missionary because. I wonder how you'd finish that sentence. Become an overseas missionary because. How have missionaries you have heard finished that sentence? I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first person you've ever heard speak about overseas mission. What what have other people said? What are some of the motivations that are possible? So we could go for the three S's of motivation, three S's of missionary motivation, stats, stories, and suffering stats. So become an overseas missionary because of stats. So in, in Chile, there's hundreds of thousands of university students. And, and when I did training with the entire national staff worker team, we would sit around one folding Bunnings table. The, the staff of the entire national movement around one folding plastic table. Shouldn't you go and help a movement like that? Of course, if I really want to sort of up the motivation about stats, I would follow up with a question like, how many staff were there when you were part of a university group? Or when you have a leaders meeting at your church, how many people are present? Stats. Stories. Become an overseas missionary because of stories. So, you know, there was this one time when, when I was in Peru, uh, through several years of investing in people and, and visiting and, and relationships, I was invited to an annual pastors conference up in up in the Andes for, for four or five days. And I did this for several years in a row. And each year there were about 60 pastors there, uh, most of whom didn't have any formal theological education. Uh, and a few years in a row, we would work through a mock lamp subject in those four or five days as well as share meals and stories from our churches and, and encourage another, each other. It was a really, really good four or five days. You should become an overseas missionary because you get opportunities like that. Stories. Suffering. Become an overseas missionary because of suffering. Now, this, of course, can take two angles either my personal suffering as a missionary with a possible undertone of, you know, you've got it so easy here, toughen up and be a real Christian. Um, like, you know, the time I was detained by immigration in Cuba for an extended conversation. And then I've spent the week teaching through the heat, heat and humidity of the tropics. 
with, with a slight side reference to air conditioning, MEAs and long service leave here in Australia for extra effect. Uh, by the way, most of my Latin American colleagues thought I was joking when I described the concept of long service leave, but that's another story. Uh, the second angle you can take with stories is the suffering of the people we might have opportunities to minister to. So in, in, in many countries around the world, access to good health care is way out of reach. And so they suffer hugely in a way we do not. And as missionaries, we can use our professional skills to help these people live a better life. Wouldn't you want to do that? Suffering. So stats, stories, suffering. Now I could easy, fill, easily fill my allotted time this week and then some giving you stats, stories and suffering. I mean, all of the examples I just shared come from my own personal experience. And I've, I've got plenty more in the bag to share with you. But what I've been doing in preparation as I've thought about these, these this week is I've been reading 1 and 2 Timothy because I wanted to think, how do those two letters help us understand mission? Uh, what it is, who might go, and why? And as I read 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, the passage we're thinking about today, I think in terms of motivating people to become a missionary, those three magic S's are not the way to go. Now, they are true. No doubt about that. And in fact, from time to time, Paul makes references to what could be classified as one of them. For example, Romans 15, we learn he wanted to go and preach the gospel where it hadn't been heard before. Well, that's an S, that's statistics. These three S's can be a useful motivator and we, we can't ignore the reality they present us with. But ultimately, I don't think Paul uses them to be the, the foundation or the motivation to be involved in overseas mission. I think there is a much greater motivation. 1 and 2 Timothy are, are deeply personal letters, aren't they? That the opening verses of both 1 and 2 Timothy give us a, an insight into the love and trust that has grown between the apostle and his spiritual son. Uh, reading 1 and 2 Timothy in conjunction with with Acts really shows us, uh, allows us to see what a, a discipling relationships look looks like, gives us all sorts of things to think about as as we disciple others and we ourselves are discipled. But they are also very instructive letters. There's lots of instructions, exhortations, imperatives. Uh, in one Timothy, for example, Timothy is told to remain in Ephesus to charge people not to devote themselves to a different doctrine or to myths and genealogies. We're given lists of qualifications for leaders, instructions as uh, the, the, the task Timothy is to perform, the way different members of the household of God are to be treated, on and on and on, the lists of instructions and exhortations go. But in the midst of this instruction and exhortation mode, Paul kind of changes pace for a moment. He goes into self-reflective, testimony kind of mode. From verses 12 to 17 of chapter 1, there is a lot of I and me language. 
have a look at uh, verse 12. I hope, hope you've got your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV, but uh, um, whatever version you've got, I'm looking from verse 12. He says, I thank him. I thank him who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Now, if you were doing a manuscript discovery exercise on this passage, you might at this point whip out your green highlighter and start marking all those first person pronouns. And you could go on, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith that are in Christ Jesus. See, all of these green blobs would be a clear indication of the autobiographical character of this passage. But at the same time, you could get out your orange highlighter and do orange blobs for Jesus. Let's read again from verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. A whole lot of orange blobs as well. Now, as you compare your two colours, what do you notice? In the green corner, me, I, the life of Paul, there is a massive transformation from insolent opponent and blasphemer to faithful servant, recipient of grace. It is in just a, a couple of short phrases, a, a beautiful, perfect uh, personal reflection on the spectacular transformation we see in Acts chapter 9, where Saul on the Damascus Road, intent on persecuting Christians, is confronted by the risen Jesus and his life is transformed. And in the orange corner, Jesus, the activator, the, the transformer, the changer, the offerer of grace, the one who makes the transformation of the one in the green corner possible. And so comes verse 15, uh, a wonderful climax. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. If you want to understand the transformation that we're reading about in this passage, if you want to understand how it is that this grace could so abundant the grace from the orange from Jesus could so abundantly and amazingly overflow to cause such a change. Here is what we need to understand. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is the good news we proclaim. The gospel. It is the reason we, like Paul, can testify to the great work of God in our lives. It is the reason we can joyfully and confidently worship the King of Ages, immortal, invisible. And I think as Paul uses it here, 
and throughout 1 and 2 Timothy, it is the gospel that must be our mission motivation. Because the gospel tells us the need for the saving message of Jesus to go everywhere. The existence and the, the insurmountable problem of sin. It's the gospel message that saves those sinners everywhere. And I think if you understand the gospel, you will be convinced of the need for worldwide mission. And therefore, while the three S's might be useful in working out some of the where, some of the how, the baseline motivation and understanding of mission must come from the gospel. And conversely, I think if you are unconvinced of the need for worldwide mission, you don't understand the gospel. Because if you say that, well, that people group, they, they seem to be okay, or, or that people group, they, they don't deserve the gospel, or, or those ones over there, they're just too hard to reach. I don't think you've understood the gospel. I think it's also essential to understand the gospel because as we see over and over again through sustain long-term mission, whether it be here in 1 and 2 Timothy or in the other letters as Paul exhorts those who are ministering to press on, it is the fundamental truth of the gospel he uses as his key motivation. Now, it's important to understand this because I think if our motivation is primarily one of or a combination of the three S's, stats, stories and suffering, in the long run, we will get discouraged and we will return to where things are more comfortable. The, the stats will wear thin, will never quite be good enough. The stories will get old and boring. The suffering will be unceasing and it will wear you down. But the gospel will never wear thin, get old, or cease. So mission, yeah, but mission founded on and motivated by the gospel. Now, one of the reasons I, I want to share this gospel motivation with you, uh, apart from the fact that it's, well, it's in the Bible, I think it's Paul's motivation, that's a that's a good thing, is that it, it is my story of going into overseas mission. And I can personally testify that when you've spent years learning a language and someone still doesn't understand you, or when the response you're looking for isn't the response you are getting, or when everyone finds your story is just a bit boring, it's understanding the gospel that will sustain you. Um, I, like like many of you, I expect, was, was well aware of overseas mission before and while I was at Moore College. I was a member of CMS. The, the churches I'd been involved in had been had linked missionaries that we prayed for regularly and we heard from them when they were on their home assignment. Uh, one year I helped run the senior high team at, at CMS Summer School. That was great. Um, once I was out of college, our church had linked missionaries who I got to know really well. They lived around the corner from us. Um, then I started traveling to Kenya to teach the Moore College PTC courses in, in short-term blocks. It was great. I was getting to know some stats. Uh, I was starting to build up the, the bank of stories. Uh, I was experiencing the inevitable food hygiene-related suffering that comes with 
visiting different countries. So I would say I was a fan of overseas mission. I certainly saw its value, but really I saw it as something else, as something that someone else could do. Then one year we, we went to CMS summer school, uh, a week that is fantastic, uh, but should come with a warning on the packet. Uh, Peter O'Brien was giving the Bible studies that year from Ephesians and, and over the week he explained the gospel in the context of the nations. It was, it was excellent. It was like as he carefully and, and thoughtfully explained the gospel and investigated the, the implications of the gospel, he pulled back the curtain on God's plan for the world. The gospel was, the gospel is for the world. And here we are being invited to consider being part of taking the gospel to a different part of the world. That week, we decided we should take overseas mission seriously. Uh, over the following months, we, we talked to CMS and we worked out what that might look like. And as it turns out, it looked like serving in Mexico. Now, I'm no Peter O'Brien, and we've not just had a whole week delving into Ephesians. We're not going to have a whole week delving into Ephesians. But I want to leave you today with that same question that I was asking myself back then in January 2007. The gospel message is this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What does that mean for you as you think about your future ministry and the world? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he came into the world to save sinners, us included. Thank you that he came to save sinners from all corners of the world, all cultures, all languages, all nations. Father, please help us to be motivated by the gospel as we think about cross-cultural mission. Help us to so deeply understand your love for us in Jesus that we might love others across the world. This week, please give us all the chance to assess, to, to talk with others, to pray about worldwide mission and our place in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.